Welcome to podcast number two. Why is living the gospel so difficult? My name is Damon, and this is not an official publication of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Everything is said is of my own. Now, I wanted to start out our first real episode, beyond the intro, with something that affects every person, whether they are afflicted or affected by depression and bipolar. I really wanted to strike at the heart of one of the more difficult issues mental illness causes. Why is the gospel so difficult to live when you suffer with this particular disease? Now, when I mean difficult, I mean pretty impossible, at least when compared to a normal functioning person. Now, I think that I think everyone would like the answer to be a one-size-fits-all solution. Basically, here is what you do to effectively live the gospel with a mental illness. But the answers are complex as the individual and the disease. Anyone who has lived the gospel for any period of time understands that it is a demanding in almost every sense. Meetings, socials, visits, service, personal readings, studying, praying, temple attendance, not to mention goal setting, attaining a perfection that won't come in this life, repentance, sin, dietary restrictions and rules, Although the dietary restrictions really probably aren't that bad for mental illness, the substances noted for exclusion uh, generally don't mix with mental illness anyway. But taking all of that together, this is a mountain of effort for any normally functioning individual. Then add the required spiritual feelings, personal revelation, and the need to have a gospel relation, a sorry, a personal relationship with God. And the entire matter becomes a full-time effort. The gospel is a full-time effort for a reason. And it is certainly worth the prize. Now, when someone is functioning normally, for the sake of the argument, we will call normal the absence of a mental illness, a temporary or long-term. I know, kind of a bad definition, but this is a podcast about depression and bipolar, so I get to define it the way I want to. So when someone has a level of emotional normalcy, the gospel takes a significant effort, but is manageable. Now let's take one of these normal functioning individuals, and we're going to remove their ability to feel normal emotions. Replace those emotions with consistent, dark, and negative feelings. Then we're going to remove their desire to do anything productive, or do anything but sleep, and then we're going to add to that emotional pain to the level of tears at times, shaking physically. And then we're going to remove any desire or energy to do anything. Uh, but we're not done yet. Add to all of that a brain function that is foggy at best and a beastly voice talking to them all day about how bad they feel and what wrong they did to be in the state they are. And you pretty much have depression. But let's not forget that if you push beyond the boundaries of your already weakened state and exhaust your body further, which is fairly easy to do, the whole matter gets deeper and even more difficult. But I'm not going to stop there. Let's add to the burden people who don't understand and tell you to just get over it. It's just hormones. Why can't you get anything done? And a variety of other well-meaning well-intended admonishments and encouragements. If that isn't sufficient to drown a person, let's add leaders who need your ministering numbers and your visits, 
and ask why you aren't visiting anyone and aren't showing up to social events. Others who ask you why you aren't attending church and why you have become inactive or less active. Finally, let's add to that talks meant for normal functioning individuals to talk about repentance, serving others, doing more, adding more to what you are doing, listening to the Spirit, and many other things that feel almost impossible when you're depressed. Now let's take that depressed person and place them into this demanding religious schedule where they must feel positive desires, give significant effort, feel love not just for friends but for enemies, communicate socially and effectively, attend to others' needs, and find peace. And you have the reason why depression and the gospel often don't mix very well. And that's really an understatement. You really can't live the gospel in the same one who, same way as someone who is reasonably normal. Mental illness affects relationships, activity, meaning church and attendance, and a variety of other issues and perceptions surrounding how one is to be living the gospel. Now, we, meaning the church in general and wards, do a great job of defining how the gospel should be applied in our lives and, of course, the lives of everyone else. Social, peer, and other pressures are consistent and constant. For instance, there are no legitimate exceptions within the social or peer aspect of the church for missing church meetings. We even have a name for it. We call these people inactive. And then to somehow lessen the severity, we call it less active. Although that really doesn't change the severity. Both really have the same meaning in the church circles. You have left the fold aren't participating and you need rescuing. So not only is the mental illness a burden, now you are a lost little lamb that needs to be rescued because you've stepped off the church peer path. Now I hear some of you shaking your heads. That is about it, isn't it? I hope when you see it that way, and the way I explained it, how impossible, how difficult it is to live the gospel in a normal way with depression and bipolar. I mean, how can someone afflicted with depression even come close to living the gospel in a normal way? The answer is they really can't. And I don't think that they should be expected to. I'm not saying that they are released from the commandments when they are depressed. But I simply don't believe that the Lord expects the same things from them. If all they can do one day is read a chapter in the scriptures, then that is everything the Lord requires for that day. If they can't feel love for anything... I don't think that the Lord expects them to all of a sudden feel an overabundance of love for their neighbor. I think the Lord expects you to live the gospel at the level you can. And for someone in the midst of a depression, that simply might not be very much. Depression seriously impedes the methods in which you can approach and live the gospel. The go and do more, change more, be more, live more, serve more, cannot be applied in the same way or sometimes not at all as it is to normal functioning individuals. Scriptures, talks, messages, and other types of doctrine focused on the be more, do more attitude is most often directed at those who live in the normal emotional world. The work harder at spiritual things and expend more effort in service often doesn't work for depression. In fact, it might even be more detrimental than beneficial. Driving one's limited reserves deeper into exhaustion can be a seri- can be seriously problematic, no, not just for health, but for spirituality. Certainly everyone needs to function at the level they can, 
and continue to try and serve, but the disease requires a different perspective about accomplishing those things. The Lord does not expect the same effort from someone in a depression as he does from those who are not. So let me attempt to fix the first unwritten, underlying, unspoken expectation of church membership. Just because Nephi says that the Lord giveth no commandments unto the children of men, save he shall prepare a way for them, he is not inferring that someone living with depression can live the gospel in the same way as someone who is functioning normally. That might seem obvious, but depression is not like a broken leg where limitations are obvious. One can look, sound, and act quite normally. What is referred to in mental illness circles as masking, but be entirely unable to function normally. Depression is that hidden disease where the contents of the book and the cover of the book are drastically different. The problem is that leadership and general ward membership are only able to see the cover. And so social pressure is applied as if the book and its cover are contiguous. The lack of any real physical or spiritual limitation lends one to believe what is entirely false, that the reason for an activity is directly related to the loss of testimony or direction in life. And then with false, false assumptions come the inevitable rescue effort, somewhat similar to throwing a flotation device to someone lost in the desert. Now, I spent far too many years falsely believing that I needed to function just like everyone else who didn't have my disease and that the Lord would provide. Don't fall into this fallacy. I think it's plain wrong. The Lord expects us to function within the disease. He allowed it to come upon you in the first place for a purpose. He expects you to be perfect given the limitations he has placed upon you. What does this mean? You simplify. You do what you can. You prioritize. If you can't bake the bread and deliver it to the neighbor, then you can't. You can only read two verses of scripture, then that's what you can do. You can't possibly visit your families today. It's okay. If you can't teach a lesson this week, then fine. Explain it to your leader and move forward. This often also means explaining the disease to the leader and others. And I know from experience that it can be very difficult and that people won't often understand. The church will survive, I promise. This doesn't mean that disease can be an excuse to avoid everything. It does mean that you need to understand your limitations and do what you can. And you need to do what you can. Now, how do you do that? That is a really good question. Now, before I answer the question, there are some important aspects of the disease that are critical to the answer. Let's start with one of the more difficult portions of depression. And that has probably the greatest negative impact. Personal revelation is where everything in the church begins, from service opportunities to teaching a class to finding solutions to problems, yours, others, and even a testimony. Revelation requires listening to a still, small voice in your feelings. Given the foggy mind of depression and feelings, it can't really be trusted because they are consistently negative and out of sync with reality. Revelation, in the normal sense, is near impossible. Even if you do feel and see, think something might be true, it is quickly overwhelmed by darkness, doubts, and other feelings. When do you trust 
who do you trust? Not necessarily when, but who do you trust when you can't trust yourself and you doubt every thought and feeling? What do you do when your religious principles require personal revelation? I'm not sure that I have all the answers to that. However, the Lord knows that you can feel the Spirit. The Lord knows that you can't feel the Spirit as easy or even sometimes not at all. He knows you have limited emotional, social, mental, spiritual, and even physical abilities. He knows that it feels almost impossible to hear His voice, that you can't trust your feelings. Revelation in the normal way is likely going to be difficult or impossible. So what does He do? My experience has taught me that he speaks in different ways. You're more likely to hear a voice in your head rather than a feeling. You're more likely to hear other people say things that make sense to you. If you have a trusted friend, a companion, parent, leader, the Lord often speaks through them to you. For me, this is what I use the most. I trusted others to help me with my personal revelation. I think this might be one of those teaching moments of the disease and probably one of those things that I needed the most. Also understand that the Lord knows your diminished desires, meaning he knows that just getting out of bed can be difficult. He also understands that anxiety and depression are often twins who are born and run together. This basically means that not only is it difficult to get out of bed, but you, f but you get to feel bad about not getting out of bed. You feel bad about everything. You're not doing, but have no desire to do. So what do you do and what can you do? Sometimes you're going to go through the motions. You say prayers without feeling, read scriptures you can't remember. And I found the Lord rewards the obedience. If you could have meaningful prayers and deep doctrinal scripture study, you would. But it just isn't possible. So you try, and the Lord makes up the difference. You go to church for as long as you can, and then you go home. The Lord is grateful for the accomplishment. There is no reason to feel bad. So how do you know what to do and what the Lord expects and doesn't expect of you? How do you know how far to go with your current limitations? I can't say that I have a one-size-fits-all answer for this because the limitations will be different for everyone. But looking back at all of the many times I struggled just to read a chapter or attend sacred meeting, I don't think that the Lord ever punished me for lack of effort. I don't ever remember anything more than encouragement when I could hear his voice. He does want effort, even though it may be small. And if we err in trying too little, I think mercy comes quickly. I'm sure that he was there with me most of the time, even though I really probably couldn't feel it. The one thing that I have found and know for sure is that the Lord extends a great deal of mercy to those afflicted with this disease. Understand that while the Lord does extend a great deal of mercy, the same is not always true for the membership of the church. There exists a significant social and peer pressure within its ranks. The measure of the pressure often comes through the more outward signs of membership, namely activity, meetings, coming to church, and also what is now called ministering. We refer to anyone who hasn't attended church within a few weeks as inactive or less active. The name has become to be synonymous with being one of the lost sheep and not of the 99, the connotation being that the individual has lost their way and needs to be returned to the flock. I'm not sure most membership 
realizes how hurtful that can be to someone who is trying to live the gospel, but is simply unable to live it the same as they are due to a mental illness. Mental illness does not directly make one a lost sheep, but calling someone inactive or less active certainly might, especially when a mental illness is the cause. I don't think that the leadership and membership do so with any ill intent, meaning I think they are genuine in their response to what they see. Attending meetings about the only real sign that anyone can follow regularly. Prayer, scripture reading, service, and almost all other activities are far more personal. And so attendance is one of the key markers of righteous living and is the most obvious and visible sign. For anyone functioning normally, church attendance is a reasonable measure, but not for those with mental illness. I have endured my fair share of meaningful encouragement to attend my meetings, and even some of it from my own family. I get it. They love me, and they want the outward showing of discipleship that is expected of every member of the church. Now, looking back, I don't fault them for it. Good intent is good intent, even if it's misdirected sometimes. Does it hurt? Yes, it does. But I don't think that the hurt was as difficult as a lack of belief demonstrated by some others, well-meaning persons, to be directed to do better is far different than imaginary diseases and the thought that one is faking symptoms. I suppose that is probably the most difficult part of the disease, the disconnect between what's on the cover of the book and what's inside. And there's really no way to definitively show someone how difficult it really is. Well, I suppose that I've spoken enough for this particular podcast. What I would like to say most is that effort is effort, and you shouldn't discount it. The Lord knows, and he understands. He's merciful. I think we all know the difference when we are, aren't really, when we are really trying and when we aren't really trying. I would say to ignore those who don't get it. Sometimes you won't be able to, and it will hurt. Sometimes they will be leaders and people you trust and love, and that hurts worse. But remember, if you haven't tasted the salt, you really don't have the right to say what it tastes like. So keep that in mind. They can talk, but they really don't have the right to say anything. Most of all, remember what I said in the first episode. The Lord requires the fight. If you're willing to fight, no matter how small the fight, the Lord is pleased and certainly will provide the rest. So next, week, next week's episode will follow along similar lines, but we're going to talk about testimony. And I've titled it, Where Did My Testimony Go? Now I look forward to it and talk to you next week.